0: All right. Today we are going to do a live debunking or a live defending of "once saved, always saved." I've done a few of these on my YouTube channel, and this one is from his name is Greg Soretta, or I forgot what the YouTube channel is called. But um, I want you to watch this. I want you to—he he uses all King James scriptures, which most of them don't do. I want you to see. I want you to pay attention to the scriptures that he uses because we're going to go to all of them and just show you just mistakes that people make um, some of these look like rookie mistakes some of it is just probably full-blown manipulating of the scriptures because clearly he's a false prophet but it's very important you know you all are used to hearing preaching where i'll get up make a point use the scripture verse it's not wrong to do that but it's always important that you have a general over a knowledge of the bible otherwise i could be misusing that scripture and you won't realize it. And you can isolate scriptures and make it sound like something that it's not or apply it somewhere where you shouldn't. And so we're going to see some major mistakes this guy makes. He saves his best argument for last. And this is a brand new argument. And it's also going to be the easiest to debunk. I mean, it's awesome that it's his uh, best argument. So let's go ahead and Start listening to this guy and see what we can learn. But before I start it, too, I want to mention he does start out the video with the foolish, or I'm not going to show it, with the foolish church father's argument. And he blames the doctrine of once saved, always saved on John Calvin, which I hate when people do that. I find that insulting. John Calvin did not invent once saved, always saved. But either way, we go off the Bible. So let's go ahead and look and see what he has
1: to say. So let's get started. Scripture number 1 Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 It reads Christ has become of no effect unto you Whosoever of you are justified by the law Ye are fallen from grace Here it talks about Christians Who apparently started out In a relationship with Jesus In a faith based way But then somewhere along the line Attempted to justify themselves By their works Paul told them They were fallen from grace That indicates that someone can reject the grace of God after receiving it they can end up lost after they have been saved
0: how he said they were following Jesus in a faith-based way now he got all that from Galatians 5:4. now let's see if when it says fallen from grace that means you lose your salvation you were saved and you are no longer saved that's what that's what he said he said it was faith-based that they were following Jesus But Galatians 5, 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now remember, in that early church, they had people coming in and teaching that you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And they came together and they said, that is not true. We cannot be justified by the deeds of the law. We weren't, our fathers weren't able to, and we're not going to put this burden on them. And they told him, you don't have to be circumcised. But clearly Paul here is talking to people who are believing you have to be circumcised. And he said, if you're going to do that, if you're going to do circumcision, then you are also required to keep the whole law. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So is this a faith-based following of Jesus or is this a works of the law belief that they had? This is a works of the law belief that they had and so if you are if somebody in our church is claiming well i'm saved because i've kept the law because i did this one act of the circumcision well hey if you if you're claiming justification by the law you're required to do the whole law and because the whole law is required of you you are fallen from grace in other words you 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 never got there you come short of that is another way that you could say it. And there's there's several ways to prove this in no way indicates you can lose your salvation. But the best example is the fact that he's talking to those who are justified by the law. That is diametrically opposed to what the gospel says. The law does not save. The law only condemns. And these people were claiming justification based on the law. And if it's law, then it's not grace. Okay, This isn't people who were claiming to be of grace and then decided, nah, you know what? I think the law was right. That's not what it's claiming here. In Romans 11, 6, it says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he, he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So he says, if it's works, it's not grace. So people who are claiming justification by the works of law are fallen from grace. They have not got there. They've missed it. They've come short of the glory of God. Romans 4, 1 says, What should we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath of the glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute sin. So Paul 100% for sure is talking to people who are adding works to salvation, not people who are saved by faith. They fell from grace, meaning they never got there. This is similar to those who uh, Romans 3.23 says, come short of the glory of God. Why does somebody come short of God's glory? Because all have sinned. In fact, what's funny too, other versions of the Bible um they all that you know a lot of and I don't know about this guy, but the, a lot of people love to use. It in Romans three twenty three it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. NIV says the same thing. And so nobody claims that because somebody fell short of the glory of God, it means that they were there, the glory of God, and then fell away from it. But at the same time, when they go to Galatians and they see that fallen from grace, they think it means they were there. And then they, you know, fell away from it. No, these people never were in grace, which is why they're on their way to hell. They fall, they have fallen from that. Why? Because they were trying to get justification by the law. Like Israel, who they did not find what they were seeking for because they didn't seek it by faith, but by the works of the law. So you could say they fell away from it. They, they didn't get it. And so it's just a bad interpretation when people see fall away and say that means they were there and they fell from it no it just means uh they they didn't get there so that's a bad argument and a lot of people use that one and and again if you just isolate that i can see where somebody might get a little confused but if you look at the context you look at other places in the bible that clearly is not what it means so let's go ahead and look at his next argument that he
1: has Scripture number 2, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Here it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Paul was evidently writing to Christians here, since he called them brethren, and he warned them of the danger of departing from God. That indicates that we have the free will to walk away from God.
0: Okay, so... Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And he makes a rookie mistake here that preachers make all the time, but that because it says brethren, that means they're saved. Okay. Now just understand this too. If I get up in church and I refer to everyone as brethren, obviously it's assumed everyone is saved, but does that mean everybody's saved all of a sudden? No. And sometimes there's unsaved people that come into the church and that are confused and uh, don't understand things. But, but either, either way, okay, either way, this does not work. This does not prove they were saved because of the fact that Paul, and we don't even know it's Paul, he assumes it's Paul, but the, uh, the apostles often refer to unsaved Jews as brethren. Let's look at a few examples. Acts 22, when Paul is preaching... To the Jews that just beat him up and had him arrested, because they thought he brought a Gentile into the temple, he said, "Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defence which I make unto you now." He called them brethren. Why? Because they physically were his brethren. Nationally, they were his brethren. Acts two twenty nine. Men and brethren. Let, this is Peter preaching. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried in sepulchres with us in this day. He's preaching, trying to get him saved, but he called him brethren. Why did he do that? Because they were his brethren, physically, nationally speaking. Acts 3:17. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also you rulers. And ye sh- and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all these holy prophets since the world began. He's preaching to the people who crucified Jesus. And what do he call them? Brethren. And what's he calling them to do? To repent. You know why? Because they weren't saved. So, Acts 7, Stephen, who's preaching to the people that are about to stone him. It says, he said, men, brethren, and fathers. Hearken. So, again, the Jews often did that with each other. So we see that even in, when you get to the epistles in the New Testament, when they're writing to Jews, and clearly in the book of Hebrews, the writer is trying to encourage Jews to be obedient to the Old Testament and accept Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, let's go ahead and read a little more of Hebrews chapter 3 just to prove this. In verse 13, if we go to the next verse, "...but exhort one another daily while this call today..." lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So clearly what the writer is doing right here, he started out in chapter one saying God in sundry times in divers manners spake in these last days. He's spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ here. The writer is saying, not everybody that came out of Egypt was saved. Not everybody that came out of Egypt got to go into the promised land. There were people that God was grieved with for 40 years. Why was He grieved with them? Because of unbelief. And you know what He's telling the Jews that He's writing to here? Let's not make the same mistake as our fathers. We are entering a new era. We are entering a new era where we've got a new high priest. We're entering a new era where we no longer have the sacrifices anymore. He's showing all these things that have changed under the new covenant And they're in a transition period like they were when they came out of Egypt. And he's saying, don't make the same mistake as our fathers and have an evil heart of unbelief. Jesus is the Messiah. He was made of the seed of Abraham. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We do need to follow him outside the gate. Like those sacrifices that they took without the camp. Let's follow Jesus without the camp. Bearing his reproach. He's encouraging Jews to follow Jesus. So, of course, they're going to call him brethren. And you know what? Jews who did not accept the Messiah apostatized, and they and so they weren't just automatically saved because they were Jews. They had to be of faith. So Hebrews is a place people go all the time to try to prove you can lose your salvation, and it it's just not there. It absolutely is not there. The Jews who were the people of God but not necessarily saved were able to lose their standing as the people of God. If they did not believe on Christ. And many of them didn't, and so those branches were broken off. If they would have gotten saved, they'd have been secure forever, just like the rest of us. So, uh, horrible, horrible argument there, just based on epic ignorance. Now, let's go to the next one. This is in Exodus 32, uh, verse 31 through 33.
1: Scripture number three. Scripture number 3, Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 through 33. Here, Moses pleaded with God to forgive the Israelites for worshiping the golden calf. Verses 31 through 32 state, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, block me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. What God says next in verse 33 is significant. It states, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. This is talking about the book of life. Because that is the only book that people's names get blotted out of for sinning. According to Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. Which says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name, out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The book of life records those who are saved. For example, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 reads, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if your name could be removed from the book of life for sinning against God, that means you can lose your salvation.
0: this guy, he is the master of assumption. He assumes that if your name's in the book of life, it means you've been saved. No, it just means you have life. And you know what? He is right. If you sin, your name will get blotted from the book of life unless you receive the gift of eternal life. Then your name will never be blotted out of the book of life. So he, because God said, whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. That's true which is why we need cleansing, which is why we need our sins not imputed unto us, so our names will not be blotted from the book of life, so we will receive the gift of eternal life, and so our name will not be blotted out. Now, you went to Revelation 3, in verse 5, it says, He that overcometh shall be clothed with white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, what does that mean, not to overcome? He who never sins... Because that's going to be nobody. Or could John be talking about the same thing he wrote about in 1 John 5, 4, that says, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory, victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So, folks, your name can't be blotted out of the book of life. or your name can be blotted out of the book of life if you sin because the wages of sin is death. But just like Moses interceded for Israel in that day when God was going to kill them all, Jesus Christ intercedes for us who have believed on him and our names will not be blotted out of the book of life because payment has been made. So to use that passage to prove that you can lose your salvation is just, again, ignorance of epic proportions that is not proof these are assumptions let's go to the next one we got a lot more i want to try to get through all these this is in john 15:5 and 6 Commonplace people go to and you guys probably know the answer to this one
1: scripture number four john chapter 15 verses 5 through 6. here jesus said i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruit For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Here Jesus makes it plain that we need to abide in him. The word abide means remain. In other words, we need to stay in a relationship with Jesus. It is our choice whether or not we want to do that. We can choose to end that relationship anytime we want. If that happens, Jesus said that our fate is to be cast into the fire to be burned. In other words, hellfire.
0: All right, and I I preached the whole message on this a while back. This is not about salvation. This is about bearing fruit. This is about reproducing. And we have to have Christ in order to do that. Israel had failed to bring forth fruit. When Jesus went to the fig tree, cursed it. Why? Because there was no fruit on it. What was Israel's problem? They weren't connected to Jesus Christ. And without Christ, not only are we going to go to hell, but without Christ, we can do nothing. Without him, we can't bring forth fruit. We can't get other people saved if we do not have Jesus Christ dwelling in us. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving this, but if you go through John 15, it is very clear what that's talking about. It's about bearing fruit. And there's a lot of saved people are not bearing fruit and when it comes to the kingdom of god when it comes to building his kingdom they're good for nothing in fact sometimes they do more harm than good it's because of the fact that they end up turning people away you know from the truth of god and so um, again he just assumes just like you you know a branch that doesn't bear fruit you get rid of it and what and so people assume well that means somebody's not bearing fruit god's going to take away their salvation or He's talking about Israel who wasn't bringing forth fruit and God replaced Israel with the spiritual nation because they weren't bringing forth fruit. Now, again, you can, you can make application to individuals, but at the end of the day, the real primary application of this is about, you could say that the branches that get burned are the ones that are without Christ because they bear no fruit. They, they can't, they're not capable of bearing fruit. The ones who do bear fruit, you could say, are the branches of the spiritual nation. And so the thing is, it's been the church of Jesus Christ getting people saved for the last 2,000 years. It's been a spiritual people, not a physical people. It's been a people with the Holy Spirit, not a people with a physical temple. That's the direct application of that. And so to just uh, apply this to individuals or a saved person who just never succeeds in any area of his life to make it like they can lose their salvation if this applies it's just you're isolating the scripture taking it out of context so let's go to this next one another common one from hebrews that everybody does it's like everybody recycles the same foolishness and stupidity
1: hebrews ten twenty six. Scripture number 5, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. There Paul wrote, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. This is not talking about one sin, by the way. This is talking about continuing in a life of sin after accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Sometimes Christians do sin, at times willfully, at times ignorantly. When we become aware of our sins and are convicted, we should repent and confess our sins to God in the name of Jesus. However, if we accept Jesus in our life and then live a life of constant sin, stealing blaspheming, fornicating, using drugs and alcohol, and we don't repent from that, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for our sins. That's because Jesus' sacrifice only counts for the sins that we repent from. That's why Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out.
0: That's a pretty scary thought there. He only saves us from the sins that we repent from. And it's just like, really, so this guy, is he repentant of all his sins? I mean, does this guy have no sin in his life anymore? Or is it only the big sins that will cause him to go to hell, not the little sins? So this is heresy big time. Without going to a ton of scripture, Hebrews 9 is all about how there's no longer the physical sacrifices, the yearly sacrifices, the daily sacrifices. Jesus made one sacrifice once and for all. There was a time where if you committed certain sins, you would go and there you could take an offering. You could give a sacrifice for that sin that you did. But you know what? It's not like that anymore. And for somebody to go and to, and to have this attitude, I can go sin and offer up a sacrifice and I'm all good. That, no, it doesn't work that way anymore. And so while what the direct application was then is he's telling people who are not accepting the sacrifice of jesus thinking that they're going to be able to do these other sacrifices that he already said no those things are already done and not only are those things done you now have received the knowledge of the truth and if you think that you can go sin and then turn back to those sacrifices knowing the truth listen there is no sacrifice but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire and indignation, and God judged Israel big time, who rejected the sacrifice of Jesus and continued doing sacrifices in a temple, and he eventually ended up destroying their temple. Now I think we can make individual application today too, that if we as Christians, and you know, and we've never been under the Jewish system and offered sacrifices, but we've kind of come up with our own ways of doing it, where it's like, all right, I know I shouldn't do this sin, but I'm going to do it. But I'll make up for it. and I'll read a few extra chapters of the Bible. No, we don't. We can't make up for sin. Only the blood of Christ cleanses sin. Well, I know I shouldn't do this sin, but I'll go put in an extra hour soul winning. And so I'm OK. No, if you sin willfully, God's going to punish you. You don't get to bring a sacrifice to him. And he's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, my blood didn't quite pay at all but this takes care of the rest of it. No, no. Hey, my blood covered all your sin and now you're willfully on purpose sinning and you think that you could just bring a sacrifice to me and that's going to help? No, you're in trouble. So, um, you know, that's the application of that. This is not showing that you can lose your salvation. It's not showing that at all. It's showing, it's showing these Jews, you receive the knowledge of the truth and if you think that you can go back to sacrifices... No, you're going to get judgment's what you're going to get. And they could have sacrificed every lamb in Israel. They could have given it whatever they wanted. It wouldn't matter. What Israel needed to do to be saved was accept Jesus as the Messiah. And they didn't do it. And guess what? They got fearful looking for a judgment finding nation. And you know what? The Lord did judge his people. The Lord the Lord did judge them. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And the house of God got judged and it got destroyed. So, um, sorry, that doesn't prove Anything. So let's go to the next one, 1 Corinthians 9, through 27.
1: Scripture number 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. There Paul wrote, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul compared our Christian journey to a race. He mentioned the importance of self-control and subjection, and Indicated that if we don't practice those things in our Christian life, then we will be disqualified from eternal life.
0: Uh, this is so bad. Okay, context. All right, we got to hurry up and get through these. I, w- I want to make sure I get to his, his best one because this is the one I want to. I, I really want to hit First Corinthians nine nineteen. He's talking about though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He's trying to get people saved under the Jew I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews under them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law so we're talking about becoming all things for all men that I might some mean uh save some he's trying to get people saved and so he doesn't want to offend people and so when he he's saying when you run in a race you're temperate in all things so he's keeping his body in subjection he's he's running this race he's fighting this fight because when he preaches to others he doesn't want to be cast away, which people go back to the Greek and they see that's the same word where we get that's translated reprobate sometime. Oh, that must mean not saved. No, reprobate just means rejected. And he's saying, I'm going to keep my body in subjection so when I'm preaching to these others, I won't be rejected by them because he's trying to gain them. This isn't about losing salvation. This is about getting people saved. And you know what? I get cast away all the time. And when I go out soulening where people don't listen to me or they listen and they don't like what I say and they reject me. And you know, if I, and I'm sometimes I'm cast away because they just hate the message and it's not even my fault, but you know what? I don't want to be cast away because I was being rude. I don't want to be cast away because I was just being sloppy in my presentation. There's a lot of reasons we could be cast away from other people or rejected by other people So, folks, this is an embarrassing mistake, and he's not the only one that makes it. I'm going to just assume he stole this argument. I'm going to be nice and generous and assume he just blindly stole it from somebody else and did not study this passage, because there is no way you can read this chapter and come to that conclusion. No, There's no way any two people would read this passage and say, yeah, he's talking about losing salvation here. No, one person did it, and people started repeating it, and it's an embarrassing argument. So let's go ahead and go to the next one, 1 Timothy 4, 1.
1: Scripture number 7, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. There it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and to doctrines of demons. That verse clearly indicates that it is not only possible to depart from the faith, but that some believers will depart from the faith in the last days.
0: Right, I'm going to go ahead and play the next one too, because I want to hurt and get through these. And he kind of makes the same mistake in the next one. This is Colossians
1: 1.23. You that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. Here, it clearly talks about people who have come into a saving relationship with God, people who have been reconciled to God, and it mentions that in order for them to be presented unblameable and unreprovable to God after Jesus returns, They need to continue in the faith and maintain their hope of the gospel to the end. The word if is even used here, which is conditional. It says, if you will continue in the faith and the hope, then you will be acceptable to God. Therefore, the opposite obviously applies. If you don't maintain your faith and hope, you will be lost.
0: All right. So mistake he makes on both of these is what does the faith even mean? He assumes that when the Bible refers to the faith, it's referring to saving faith. But the faith is more than just saving faith. It's our doctrine as a whole. It's our practices in general. It's it's in the Christian way of life. That's what it means. And if we do not continue in the faith, we will cease to be effective in bringing people to Christ. And if we went through uh, all, all the examples and, uh, of where it uses that, it becomes very clear what it's talking about. But I'll, just, I'll hit a couple of things. So in 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron and so he's encouraging people to you know continue in the faith to continue in good doctrine. we're not going to go into all these things but ephesians 4 i think says it the best where it says and he gave some apostles in verse 11 some prophets and some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We want to be strong in the faith because we don't want to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. We don't want people to be able to spoil us and to make us ineffective as Christians. And sadly, there's a lot of saved people who are not effective, who are not living victorious lives because... They have gotten away from the faith, and maybe they quit being a Baptist and started being a Methodist or something like that. You know, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you know what? When was the last time you saw a soul winning Methodist? You know, it, you know, when was the last time you saw a Methodist just putting out all kinds of good doctrine and stuff like that? No, they're always a mess. All the, pretty much all the Methodists we talk to don't even know for sure if they're going to heaven. So, uh, that's the mistake that a lot of people make. In First Timothy 2, it's all about behavior. He talks a lot about behavior, but then it says in First Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because of that love of money, they erred from the faith. They got away from right practices and they become disobedient. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. In verse 20, Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing, have erred from the faith, grace be with thee, amen. So they've made errors in the faith. They didn't make an error from salvation, but they're making error in their faith. And I, I don't have time to go through First or Colossians chapter 1. We're almost out of time. Um, argument 9, he does the King Saul argument. But you've got to listen to what he says about this, because this is super easy to debunk.
1: Scripture number 9, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. This scripture in speaking about King Saul and the meeting he had with the prophets says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. King Saul was converted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 even says that God gave him a new heart. That's what conversion is all about. It's about changing our hearts and minds so that we want to serve God. But King Saul didn't stay that way. He ended up departing from God and becoming lost. King Saul continually disobeyed God to the point that in 1st Samuel chapter 15 verse 11, the Lord said, "It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments." As a result, King Saul lost his connection with God. 1st Samuel chapter 28 verse 6 says, "And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim Nor by prophets. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 4, even goes so far as to say that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He had lost the Holy Spirit. He was basically without God and lost at this point. He had totally backslidden. Moreover, he became so desperate to receive divine revelation that in First Samuel chapter 28. Saul goes to the witch of Endor and ends up communicating with a demonic spirit that pretends to be the prophet Samuel, and the result was disastrous. He committed suicide in a battle against the Philistines the next day.
0: All right, so notice several things there. First off, he said it was a demonic spirit, that it wasn't Samuel. Okay, uh, where do you get that from? I, I think it was actually Samuel that talked to him, but first off, and we talked about this going through the book of Judges. Just the Spirit of God would come on them, but in a different way. I preached a whole message about what the Holy Spirit brought in the New Testament. The Spirit of God would come on men like Samson, and he would have great strength. The Spirit of God came upon Othniel, in, uh, Caleb's younger brother, in Judges chapter 3, and he gave him strength, and he was able to judge Israel and defeat armies. God, the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson several different times. Was this Samson getting saved over and over and over again? No, this was just God's spirit empowering them. And, and Saul had the spirit of God come on him to give him strength and might so he could be successful as a king. David had the same thing. And when David said, take not thine Holy Spirit from me, he didn't want to lose that special anointing from God that he had on his life. God gave these men special power with him. And I don't have time to go through all the books, uh, the passages and judges But the Spirit of God coming on them, it was. It came on them differently back then. This was not about salvation. Saul did not become saved when the Spirit of God came on him like that. He probably was already saved. And and Saul, he went to be with Samuel after he died, and so did his sons. Even Jonathan. So I wonder if this guy thinks Jonathan wasn't saved too. Because Jonathan died that same day, and Samuel told uh, Saul, you and your sons are going to be with me. So, last argument here. i got to get to this. We are totally out of time.
1: I wish I had more time to debunk these things, but it went longer than I thought. Scripture number 10, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, And his angels were cast out with him. Lucifer, who we now know as Satan, was created as a perfect angel in heaven. But as a result of rebelling against God, he was cast out. This is one of the strongest evidences for me that someone saved can end up lost. Lucifer was actually better than saved. He was created sinless and lived in heaven. The once-saved-always-saved doctrine was not a part of Christianity until John Calvin began teaching it in the 16th century. The Bible makes it clear.
0: Okay, now here's the thing. Okay, Lucifer did sin and he fell. Man, because he said he was created perfect, but man was also created perfect. And he sinned and he fell. But guess what? Jesus never died for the angels. In fact, it says in Hebrews 2.5... For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection uh, the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. You know what he was made into? A man. And just, because, and just like man brought sin and death into the world, a man had to bring eternal life in the world. And Jesus came and did it through His death, burial, and resurrection. Hebrews one five: For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a Father, and he shall be to me a Son. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten in the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. Hebrews 2.16 For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So, guess what? Several angels did fall. But Jesus did not become an angel and die for the angels. Man sinned and man fell. But Jesus did become a man and he died and paid for the sins of man. So, you know what? We ought to be thankful and feel privileged for that. Satan can't get saved. The the fallen angels cannot get saved. You know why? Because no perfect angel has died for them. And it it would have taken God and God didn't take on him the nature of angels. The Bible tells us he took on him the seed of Abraham and so he's able to be a high priest to us. Fallen angels don't have a high priest so they're going to hell which God made for them. So that right there, stupid argument. Man was created perfect. He fell. Jesus brought redemption. We were born in sin and we got saved and we're secure because of our high priest. So, Greg, Ceretta or whatever, another heretic, Mark and avoid. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, your word and for eternal salvation. And pray you'll help us as we try to uh, promote the message of once saved, always saved to this whole world. In your name we pray. Amen. You are-